0: and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything
3: like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas
2: Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find The Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from The What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are
0: giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024 these are GA+, plus and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified?
1: We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup.
2: Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.
3: This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at dream symbols and check them out.
4: What's up everybody and welcome to episode 93 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host who will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Once Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk about bass drum tuning techniques and how to get the sound you're looking for. Our featured artist this time is Poison's Ricky Rocket. In our gear review section, I'll be checking out the Sugar Percussion Cherry Stave Snare Drum. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions and as always, we'll get to our picks of the week. So let's get started.
1: Boom! God,
4: that felt good. <laughs> Must be podcast day, huh?
3: Yes, it's the <laughs> yes. only time I
4: snap throughout the entire week. <laughs> That's true. It's the only time I care that much about my snap. I like, like, As we're leading up to it, I kind of rub my finger and my thumb together. I'm like, okay, I've got just like that proper amount of moisture to make a good, solid snap. We're ready we're, we're right oh, to rock. Man. Moisture. You said the word moisture. <laughs> I didn't say it. No. Moisture is a totally acceptable word. Moist is the problem. Moisture is fine. Need to get some moisturizer, keep my skin moist, everything's good. And then then if something's moist, that's the problem.
3: Get your mind out of the gutter, Dawson. I heard uh, the local uh, weatherman, he he described the sky as being milky. And for some reason, that just made me nauseous. (laughs) Like a milky (laughs) sky. (laughs) It's like, is there a better word? Can you just say cloudy? Does it have to be cloudy? Yeah, (laughs)
4: cloudy. Yeah. Actually, you're a weatherman. Like you should know the name of the clouds. You know yeah. what cumulus is, and you know it's like go with, go in depth. Don't go with
3: milky. It's low hanging fruit. It's low hanging fruit. I hate How milk, doing, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I never drink milk. I'm good. I'm good. It's hot as heck out here. Ninety degrees. Oh man, heck! Like, you got that in just in time. We went straight straight to summer. So,
4: woof! Yeah. Uh, here it's nice. We've got like this is probably the end of our springtime. We've got about another week of this kind of 75 degree thing um and then we're going to get nailed. So uh now are you there now meaning like are you stuck at 95 and over or would this just be like a little heat wave and then you'll
3: come back down? Well, allegedly, it's supposed to go back down for for a little while. Like, today's supposed to be the it it for the the heat wave. I don't know. Nice. Whatever. I'm inside all day. It doesn't matter. matter. (laughs) I know.
4: I know. It's the same as when I travel to Canada during the winter. They're like, better pack warm. And I'm like, why? I'm in a store all day, and they keep it at 85 because it's so damn cold outside. When I go to Canada, I bring a freaking tank top, man. All right.
3: So let's talk about it. You got in some recording. I did. I did. I, this was really fun. He's an old friend of mine that I've known forever. Great songwriter. He just writes songs constantly. So like every year he's got another 30 songs that he wants to to record. Wow. This batch was all just kind of 70s kind of inspired John Denver meets Social Distortion, like a little bit of a, a punk, but still kind of a 70s thing. So anyway, they're all very straightforward. So How I was cool. able to get uh, 12 songs done in, in two days, which was, was super cool. Because I was just, it was like kind of like first instinct, just play it and go. There's only two songs where what I first heard was not what he was originally okay. hearing. So I had to go back and try because he gave me like almost no instructions. Just here's the songs, do what you do. Which was cool, but I made a, I limited myself. Like, I'm not going to change the kit at all. i I going to give myself two snare drums a shallow drum for faster tempos and a deeper drum for slower tempos. Same cymbals because I wanted to, he wanted to have like a band sound. So I didn't want to okay. go like full on you know la studio style where the drum sound changes on every track sure sure so it was cool i used a 5x14 uh, superphonic and a 6 and a half by 14 nickel over brass that they wow. worked on every song and then what about so
4: because you are constantly testing gear do you ever risk it and just bring some symbols that are kind of that you're testing out for the magazine or did you, do you always bring your own stuff that you
3: that's tried and trusted that's funny you ask because i used a set of pisces that i'm reviewing and i okay it was important that i got all the tracks done because i was gonna not have those symbols much longer <laughs> 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 i used the uh, the new masters <laughs> thin which oh, are cool. amazing 24 inch ride 22 inch they're just symbols 24 inch thin 22 inch thin 20 inch thin uh and then i use 16 and 15 inch hi hats Wow, really, really nice. It's kind of like uh, I mean, we'll obviously talk about this more when I do the the actual review, but it's like they took the giant beat concept, like just symbols, yeah, symbols, and right. then last year they put that into the big beat, which was like the 2002 version of that, right? And then they did it again with like the traditional style stuff. Cool. So now they have these three similar kind of vibe, like big symbols that can that are thin and kind of cover everything, but you've right. got the bright giant beat. You've got the kind of complex but still bright big beat, and now you've got these masters, which are the big warm, luscious, dark wow. sounds, but still have that like peisty clarity. I was gonna
4: say it's gotta be a nice like somewhere in between Istanbul Gop and and what we think of as piesty.
3: Yeah, it was know? it was a definitely a unique sound. It it gave the um like the articulation of the symbols was really impressive. Because normally when I think thin, dark B twenty symbols. The articulation could be kind of like low and, and woody, yeah. but this had that like crisp high end thing. Wow. Even to the f- to the point when it made me realize that my snare drum mic and my overhead mics were slightly out of phase because I could hear the cymbal articulation so clean in all three mics. Wow, it sounded like a delay. Like there was actually a delay between the the mics. Jeez, that's it was really awesome. weird. So they're cool symbols. Yep. I, I would definitely recommend people check them out the masters thin is the, the series and cool. just a lot of fun yes yeah, so that's you use awesome that on, the 16s were really actually on more tracks than the 15s wow can't you wait just, to hear the yeah. the full review
4: that's awesome man well congrats i mean that's got to feel good when you're in a session and you're going through and just ticking off songs and the guy who wrote the song is like yeah we're good and you're like you don't want yeah. nine more takes like, <laughs> i know right <laughs> and then all of a sudden you must be kind of keeping up with this you know over the course of two days you're like dude we're nine down yeah exactly you know and I mean I I would assume just like being an athlete in the zone you gotta at some point feel like dude I'm I'm just knocking this one out of the park and not in a cocky way but just more of like a relief like cool what what my natural instincts are is working for this project and most importantly the singer songwriter
3: is getting what he or she wants exactly it was just the last one that was like completely off like i wasn't even close to what he was hearing i was hearing it like an up-tempo tom petty running down a dream kind of beat okay and he's like no no. "No, that's not it at all it should be like a slow kind of blues feel like whoa all right that couldn't be more opposite wow (laughs) now
4: when you played that okay you must have to have a bit of artist in you that is there ever a time where you disagree with the singer songwriter but it's not your job
3: to disagree so you just play whatever they want yeah, I mean it's well. He gave me first first instinct to do what I wanted, and, and he was like, "That sounds cool," but that's not at all the field that I was going for. So
4: I'm just saying, when you finally hit his field, did it open up to you, and you go, "Oh, now I get it," or did you go, "No, I, I feel I think it sounded pretty cool the way I did no, it." No, it ended up way better doing it the right way. Okay,
3: <laughs> it, it went <laughs> from this kind okay. of like, you know, kind of predictable acoustic rock song to like, oh, now it sounds kind of like moody and, and heavy, right? I mean, I, I've definitely had that
4: experience
3: uh, where
4: I really thought like I kind of knocked this one out of the park, and then they had me just completely do something different, and I was like, "I'll do it for you just to show you how bad your idea is." Yeah. And yeah. then when I then when I got in the control room, I was like, "Yeah, your idea is amazing," and now the whole <laughs> song just opened up, and that's why I'm not a session drummer. So. Yeah. Well, uh, it takes
3: it takes that perspective, and first of all, like I wrote the song, so he's hearing the full right. the full thing in his head. He just didn't articulate any of that, but. I also like the idea of having someone who's never heard it saying, "eh, not quite right," because we—it's hard to have perspective when you're playing the drums, especially sure. when it's like first take. I—I got the song, I charted it out, I go record immediately. I'm just going with like first instinct, you know, yeah. and it's—it's it's not always right. Such it's a cool thing too to
4: have a, a second pair of ears whether it's the singer songwriter or even just a producer but sometimes you have to bring in somebody else that can hear it from a perspective other than yours yeah and that's that's the reason why the greatest singer songwriters in the world still hire producers it's just to get Mm -hmm. that second opinion and if anything get a few more ideas flowing around the room from trusted people the trust is the is the big issue it's like as long as everyone trusts each other then we can start having really good discussions sometimes people get so emotionally attached to their drum parts or their bass parts that when you suggest to change it it really turns into a very hurtful situation yeah i don't i don't mean Mm -hmm. it like that i just mean lay out for that one bar and (laughs) the bass player's like no that's like my favorite bar of the whole song i don't want to
3: lay out i hate you and i'm like whoa i've had that too i've had that and i've had the um Like, so so one guy was just kept asking me to play more ridiculous fills, like just to the point where I'm like, all right, now I'm making fun of myself. Like I'm going so over the top. Right. But, you know, he picked the last one when I was literally like, all right, I'm going to tell him to, you know, go, go somewhere. So I just played like caveman fill and that's the one that made the record and it sounds awesome. So it sounds great. Yeah. (laughs) Trust, trust. It's a big
4: deal. Awesome, man. Well, I, uh, now is this something that eventually we'll all be able to download and buy?
3: I hope so, but I mean he's he's notorious for recording records and not releasing them. So All right. <laughs> I'll know <notice Cool>. something. <laughs> well, you let us know if if we can get it. I look forward to checking it out. <laughs> right. um,
4: I think my uh, my trio is uh, one. We finally have a band name, which is rad because uh, we keep uh, we <laughs> we've been calling ourselves. <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> we've been calling ourselves Chard. Because the first time we rehearsed, I was drinking some green drink, and my guitar player was like, what the hell is that? And I was like, oh, it's like kale and a bunch of chard, and he was like, what is chard? And I was like, oh, it's the greatest word ever is what it is. So that became our band name, and then uh, my wife vetoed that right away. Um, yeah, it's kind of a nasty so word. It's a great it, vegetable, but it's kind of a nasty yeah, it word. It really is. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so we, um, uh, we picked a band name, which is Man on the Moon, Sweet. and... And we were we're gonna play for the campers this week, so it'll be our first time playing nice. in front of humans. Do you have a whole and set? We, no, no, no. Uh, we're just playing two songs for the campers, and then we'll turn that into a Q and a because I want them to have, I want the campers to have a chance to say, to talk to a bass player and talk to a professional guitar player and ask oh, them, cool. what yeah. do you wish from your drummer? You know, what do you think when a drummer does this or does that? It's like, I'd rather them hear it from them than me saying the bass player hates this. The guitar player yeah. loves this. It's like, well, they're here. Let me get out of the way and just yeah. ask them, you know? Cool. Um, and most likely some of their answers will be like, uh, I just, did that three minutes ago and now i know not to do that anymore so uh uh, i hate when the drummer goes to that secondary ride and he just stays there the whole time because he's sponsored by minel and uh, i'm like oh damn okay Uh, hopefully on trash can lids uh but anyway so so yeah so that'll be fun and then uh uh, one more song getting finished up now and then we go and record our first ep and it'll be nice to have a musical product you got a studio picked out Yeah, we have a few in Sacramento. The problem is finding the balance nowadays. You don't get to just, at least for what I do for a living, you don't get to just pick a studio. You have to pick a studio and a look. So I have to have the place with the right producer and the right Uh, gear, but it also... We're not going to just record this for audio's sake. It has to be filmed and everything. Uh-huh. So finding that balance is tough. I've, we've got some studios in Sacramento that look amazing, and that dude just has a laptop with some plugins. Yeah, you know, But his live <laughs> room's killing. <laughs> and uh, so, so, yeah, so um, we'll see what we can find. But m- most importantly, I think what I'm most excited about is the camp coming up in Ireland because there's always this moment, whether it's myself, Spot, and Mark, or myself, Ash, and Mark, where campers go to bed, we sit in the control room, we, and everyone kind of shows their newest recordings. Mm. And I'm like, uh, do you want to see my newest lesson? <laughs> or like, I, have noth- I haven't recorded anything in like 10 years. <laughs> um, so, you know, and the stuff I have done wasn't personal to me at all. It was like, yeah, yeah. I'll do your album real quick. But um, So I don't have that moment. So to finally be like, hey, this is, this is me expressing myself. I'm really excited about it. So it should be cool. fun. When's that coming uh, up? Next month? Uh, in August. August. Yeah, so got a little while for that. So. All yeah. right, let's get into some education. Uh, you probably had to deal with this while you were in the studio, and I just dealt with this yesterday because I switched out my bass drum heads. But we're oh, going to talk cool. about bass drum tuning techniques. Yes, bass drum where tuning. That's begin. you know, I think what we should where we should begin is do you tune your bass drum the way you tune your snare, the way you turn, tune your rack tom, or do you literally just put it on and feel it more as a tension thing? Are you are you hitting mm. like from tension rod to tension
3: rod? initially so i would say when i first put heads on i balance them and And what do you mean by that i get all the tuning tuning uh, lugs to the exact same pitch okay both heads relatively the same the same spot so kind of okay uh, usually higher because i'm kind of stretching the head out so i do like to initially get them perfectly tuned just like i would a floor tom or or something um but then it kind of just goes all haywire. So right. <laughs> I think maybe that first step is just for me to feel like I'm doing something right. And but that's why I wanted to
4: bring it up is I want people to know that it's not the science that – for all of us, it's not the science that you think it might be. Um That Mm -hmm. bass drum is a different drum because one, we're not going for tone generally, unless you have an 18 inch bop bass drum that is actually acting as your third Tom, we're not going for tone. We're going for an amount of attack, um, a certain amount of sustain, usually very little and definitely a pitch. Am I yeah. trying to fill up the room
3: with low end, right. or am I trying to get some slap and some attack to cut through? Yeah, and that's um, the, the trick that I've found is that there's a very f- narrow window between sounding like a paper bag and sounding like a marching bass drum. It's a very narrow <laughs> isn't window. Isn't that like, crazy? Totally. Like maybe even half a turn of the tension ride where you go from yep. like just slap, like you're smacking slap. nothing to like now you're hearing this note. It's like getting in the way of the bass guitar. Like yeah a pure pitch so an actual pitch yeah no i'm, I'm with you that's kind um, of I, I kind of keep i i amend that by um or mitigate that by keeping the batter head pretty pretty low all the time okay. i would say it's sometimes it's so low that i can finger tight the lugs uh i can actually loosen them with my hands but can you see wrinkles in the head without without touching it or not, is it just tight enough to have no wrinkles? Yeah, it's okay. probably just above. But, you know, again, like I said, everything goes haywire because, like, I do tune my bass drum pitch, the fundamental to the, the tonic of whatever song I'm recording. Okay. So rather than, you know, getting the tune bot out and being freaky about making sure the front and back head are, are even, I just a lot of times just grab the top two tuning lugs on the batter head and use that mm-hmm. to change the pitch. So sometimes right. it goes down to where there's wrinkles. Um, and if I and then if I can't get it achieve it with that, then I'll go to the other lug. So I don't really know where it ends up, but ultimately I start with it just above the wrinkle point, and I okay. use the the front head to control how kind of uh, raspy and punchy I want it to be versus how by kind the of, front head you're saying the rezzo head? Yeah, right. One further away from your foot. Yeah, versus how round and boomy I want. So the the front head for yeah. me is the boom factor. Yeah, and also I, a pitch to a degree, but. In general it's like if I want it to be kind of gnarly kind of kind of papery then I'll tune the front head all the way down and it kind of yep. rattles in a cool way. It sounds yeah. really cool. I think of like Soul Coughing records whenever I have it tuned oh, that way. Best oh, uh, it's like a papery one. kick drum Yeah.
4: Song. Yeah, I it's think uh Soul amazing. Coughing and uh um and Rudder's first album. Those are like my two mm. favorite bass drum albums uh, where yeah, each yeah. each each track has like this thing where you're like how the hell did they do that and <laughs> yeah. the cool thing with soul coughing is like you know they tracked it it wasn't we weren't using a lot of samples yet we yeah. weren't layering samples and it was like oh man I remember sitting in I think it was Atlantic Atlantic Records I can't remember who they're on but I was either I was in the I was in their A&R's office this mm. is when my band was getting signed and that the, the soul coughing record um, which is their second one uh, was the was yellow the one with list. the monkey on it oh yeah, that's L.O. so I, I whichever one had like their first kind of hit, yeah. Um, so it was either a second or third, but it was just getting it. Would it was just done? It was getting ready to come out. I'm sitting in the A&R's office, and he's like, "I'm so bummed about this project." And I said, "What is it?" You know, and I was there with a the producer, and he said, "Well, I think it's really the greatest album that Atlantic or whoever it was, Interscope has ever put out." but no one's going to buy it. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just too good. It's too cool. It's too hip. It's too ahead of its time. And he played it. And I was like, can you send me that? Like, or yeah. can you give me that cassette tape? <laughs> I was like, that is the, that is amazing. Why, why would that not be on the radio? And he's like, I'm telling you, we have already shopped it. No one cares. The singer. Like, Some people yeah. hate the singing on, on yeah. their records,
3: which I love talking. It. I think it's I do amazing.
4: Too. I think I, I one of my favorite bands. So, bass
3: drum tuning back to that so that sound i get by having the front head like all the way down like maybe even to the point where every lug is detuned all the way it gets a kind of Mm -hmm. a flappy airy thing that's really kind of neat yeah i'm with you i mean i actually do the same thing as you the front
4: head um or i'm sorry excuse me the batter head the one that i'm hitting i tune it at first like it's a loose floor tom but i do get it in tune and then uh, I give it CPR. So while the bass drum is laying on its side and the batter head is facing up, I put my hands in the middle of it and I do about 20 push-ups. Mm. And I'm just stretching out that head. Or I sit on it and I bounce up and down. People lose their mind when they see you sit on a bass drum <laughs> head. As long as it's not too loose, it's going to be all right. But I usually don't sit on it anymore. But I'll, I'll do some push-ups on it and just kind of stretch it out, get it back into a good tuning. And then I'll do the same thing for the Rezo head, the mm-hmm. head that's furthest away from my pedal. And generally what I'll do, whether it's here at the studio and I have Nate do it, or if I'm doing a clinic or a drum festival, someone else has to play my bass drum and I go out to the yeah. rezzo head and then that's how I adjust my bass drum. It's from yeah. the rezzo head yeah. while somebody's just giving it nice slow quarter notes. I just have to reach
3: um, around with a uh, mallet
4: so I can hear yeah. it from the front. There you I, go. It, but, but yeah, you have I mean to that's do it. Yeah. W- such an important thing. You're 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 up to twenty inches away sound wise from where you hit it. It, so when you, the drummer's perspective is not what that drum sounds like,
3: not at you all. Know? If you, that's that's what it, probably the number one mistake that I see is drummers tuning the bass drum f- to make it sound big and boomy where they're sitting, right? Which nine times out of ten, that means that front head is way too tight, and, it, mm-hmm. and out front it just sounds like it's just, just choked, like there's no, nothing to it. Ping. But yeah. that gives you that big, bloomy low end at the seat, but it's not projecting yes. anything. <laughs> it's like such going a no weird way. dichotomy, <laughs> man. Like it's a frustrating uh, instrument.
4: It, it really is. is. So I mean, it's, every time I've hated my drums, my sound guy was like, "That's the keeper." I'm like, "Are you sure?" Because <laughs> I'm really not having fun. I'm hitting wood blocks. What I'm telling you, those things project. Yep. So,
3: and yeah. So then when you get into recording it, that's a whole other. What I oh what boy drives me nuts now is the outside mic that I put on the head, like close to the front head. Yep. Again, there's a fine line where it picks up a little bit of tone versus when it picks up a pitch that just drives me out of my mind because I don't want to like <laughs> always muffle the drum with a pillow to where there's no no resonance. Right. But if there's that there's like a hum that it's just above half a turn or something all of a sudden right. it becomes this like no- noticeable pitch like someone's hitting a keyboard yeah. constantly. And it's funny
4: too because if you find that frequency in your EQ EQ and just drop it negative 20 dB, you actually lose everything in the kick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not as simple as like, ah, oh, just we'll just EQ that out. It's like, no, it's 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 covering a wide range of frequencies and it's yeah. driving me crazy. Yeah. yeah.
3: So that's, I mean, it's sometimes if I'm going for like a less muffled sound, sometimes I'll tape like a square of paper towels on the front head, kind of, mm-hmm. kind of. If you look at like an old marching band drum line, they usually they used to tape big wads of of paper towel on them. I'll do that sometimes. It gets rid of it. Sometimes I just have to just bite the bullet and put some more muffling inside the drum. Right. I tend to do yeah. more muffling than not, especially with when there's microphones involved. Like the yeah. the uh the tracks I recorded over the weekend the, I used actually I did use two bass drums, so I'm kind of lying about what I used. I used all <laughs> old Ludwig drums. I used a twenty and a twenty two. Okay. In the twenty two I had a, a bedroom pillow in it. It was just I think old Ludwig kick drums sound best with a bedroom pillow. I know it's crazy. It's like all these other devices. They they all sound like
4: a sample. Like (laughs) they just do their job. It's like, yeah, that's, that's it. Um, I got rid of all that hum. And and I've used, you know, I've, I've obviously you and I both get sent every gadget known to man. Um, but I've used every muffling device there is, but I still usually come back to that DW hourglass shaped pillow.
3: Yeah, that one's wow. good. I can't use it because I I like to put the um, the sure pyramid mic inside the drum. Oh, okay. And there's nowhere to put it on that pillow. Yeah, good point. Yep. But it's great for live. I use it, I use it in my live. Yeah, setup it just a lot. it just works and it and
4: I like the there's something telling me that because of that hourglass shape that the middle of my drum gets to do its job. Mm-hmm. Um, Whether that's true or not, but uh, but I like it and because I'm playing a. 14 inch deep bass drum it touches both heads perfectly um yeah so those are nice i use no, those it works I, use,
3: I use the remo um, sausage things most of the time yeah so i'll put one too. on each head and then i'll put a t-shirt in the middle just to give something in the middle break up the reflections yeah and to give something to lay the microphone on felt strips I, I, I always want to do, use them but inevitably they buzz and again it just drives me nuts it, the yeah. microphone picks it up
4: Did you ever go? Uh, did you ever go crazy back in the eighties? Because I went tin foil. No, I was I, never did I was told that. that Lars did that. That was a lie. Uh, I also, <laughs> I also lined the inside of my bass drum with uh, aluminum foil. Heard wow. that. Uh, so you were going that, for like a bright, loud. Well, yeah, I was just part. listening to Pantera and, and Metallica, <laughs> and I and I had heard that that's what everyone's like. Oh, well, you know how uh, what's Pantera drummer's name? Vinnie Paul. Uh, Vinnie Paul. They're like, you know how Vinnie Paul gets that sound, right? I'm like, no. They're like, well, one, he duct tapes silver dollars onto his drum head. <laughs> and two, he uh, he lines the inside of his bass drum with tinfoil. I'm like, I have both. Oh, I have both man. of those items. I'm going home right now to do that. <laughs> I was 11, dude. I wasn't. I wasn't like, you know. How editor of sound? modern <laughs> drummer i was just like yeah
3: let's do this that sounds like a great idea so oh, i use weather stripping that was probably the dumbest I, most painstaking totally, process of gluing that all that on, on there. the
4: top of my drums the inside of my you know the inside of the heads so i'm like oh now I, now it's not in my way yeah and then it's like well how do you take it off i'll just take the whole head off i guess yeah, it's just and then terrible. you pull it
3: off and it just it's like all still there yeah you Ugh. can't you can never get it all i mean that no. was one and then actually the the most interesting technique was my uh, drum set teacher, Mike Shepard. He he took a, I think it was just a, a thin blanket, put it underneath the entire head, and then cut it so it was only covering half of the head. So it was like the oh, blanket wow. was okay. covering half yeah. of the head. But he would cut it all the way around so you couldn't really tell. It's kind of like a felt strip that would be covering half of the head. What a cool thing. And it sounded amazing. And it wasn't as yeah. dead as you'd think it would be. It still sounded like a like I bet a that'd be
4: perfect for private drum. drum instructors out there that just need to bring their drums down a little bit but don't yeah. want to go
3: to full like Remo silent stroke heads or something, you know? Yeah, so I mean I've kind of come to the conclusion that muffling is all the different stuff just do the same thing. They just try to focus the low end a little bit. You know, right. all these yeah. different techniques just focusing. There is one device that I that I've been checking out, the kick pillow pro or kick pro okay goodness now i've got to look it up oh boy it's a it comes the editor it's a small, just let it go <laughs> i think it's called kick oh man sorry everyone kick pro hello <laughs> don't worry they're just driving it's fine they've yeah, got like called, another 10 it right. minutes it's called a kick pro kick it's pro like a, it's basically like a a rectangular sandbag muffler so okay. it's really heavy it's not something i would put in my gigging drum because it's going to add Fifteen pounds to the drum, but it goes in the drum and it kind of it, it, it yeah. it's it's weighted so it, it makes the shell not resonate as much so it gives you a, a much more tighter focus sound and you can you can have it set up so it's not even touching the heads and it still has a pretty drastic impact.
4: That's cool. It's, it's only it's 40 great bucks for a studio on Sweetwater. Yes.
3: Yeah, it's great for the studio and I also use it when I'm not using it in the drum. It's like a counterweight for my for some of my mic stands if they start going. Oh, crazy. nice.
4: There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Well, guys, get out there and start messing with your bass drums. Just, this is the one thing that I always try to get across to new drummers, no matter what their age. You're not going to mess up the drum. Just try stuff. Yeah, just I, I have people it. all the time that say, hey, can I bring in my kick drum for you to tune? I'm like, well, how, what have you tried? And they're like, oh, I am not. I haven't touched it since I got it. I'm like, oh, dude, you should just have a whole day of messing with that thing. Yeah, Just, just trial and error. You're not going to hurt the shell. Um, man, I used to crank down marching drums with a with a ratchet so yeah you're, you're gonna as be as tight fine. as i could
3: go yeah yeah no
4: literally with a with a ratchet yeah, or a I socket did them too. Set. Yeah. yeah yeah i used to bust the <laughs> lugs off those things totally and still the shell was intact it was fine didn't even chip i was like we oh, gotta order another lug from yamaha but other than that we're good uh, oh, yeah. all right well let's talk about featured artist mr ricky rocket
3: that can't be his real name
4: Oh, man. I can't what accept is it. his
3: name. Let's, let's, Wait, let's you Wikipedia. know his real name? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna Wikipedia it and see if he's on there. <laughs> yeah, it. you are. We're gonna discover you, Ricky. No, Ricky. I just can't. I can't imagine it was Richard Rocket. <laughs> and a, if, it, if it was, he's got the
4: coolest parents ever. Well, they just had the name Rocket. What are you gonna do? <laughs> he is
3: Richard Allen Ream. There we go. According there to go. Wikipedia, which I cannot verify, but that is what they say. His name is Richard Allen Ream, aka Ricky Rocket of the american glam metal band poison that's great ter-
4: that's a great phrase glam metal i love it yeah uh, i think i've told you before but that's the first drummer i ever wrote a letter to i was oh, like yeah, seven years that. old yeah wrote him a letter and just still remember i still remember writing it by hand and telling him if i could ever be half as good as you it'll be a great life and, all you stuff? Send it and to? I, I just gave it to my grandma she said she'd track him down so i'm sure it never <laughs> even went anywhere that's it's amazing put it in her drawer but uh but yeah i uh that was you know it's funny and that's ricky rocket is probably why i let all of my students have their favorite drummers without telling them no 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 you got to check out this guy you got to check out this guy it's like Mm -hmm. no your favorite drummer is the guy who plays in your favorite band when you start paying attention to music and start paying attention to drums so it doesn't even matter you're not thinking how good is he or she all you're thinking is like well i like this band and they're the drummer for it and it was i mean the absolute height of mtv yeah, so every time I, I turned on the yeah. tv i see ricky rocket flipping his stick yeah. and you know in slow motion and i'm like well he must be the best they filmed him in slow motion
3: yeah you know? i mean I, he was very featured too that's what i liked about it his setup was always set up in a cool way so you could see all everything he sure. was doing and he always got good airtime in the videos, so he was yeah. And the drums were always mixed really loud in the on the Poison records. Totally,
4: absolutely. I mean, I, I learned all of that stuff, um, you yeah. know. And I think, uh, Oh, what's the song uh, they do a cover on um, on their first major album? And I just remember. The lyric out of the car, long hair, ooey. Um, and, and it's like, it's like, and I had to, I, you know, I'm like seven years old just trying to learn this like classic blues shuffle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, really cool stuff. Now, I'm sure
3: you know Ricky from, because he's always at NAM shows and stuff. Have you, I'm sure you've met him before. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've met, you know, in passing uh, at NAM shows when he was uh, running his drum company, Rocket Drum Works. So he had a booth there. Yeah. Met him a few times. And then I got to review his. He did a signature ride symbol with Bosphorus a, a while ago. Oh, wow. Which was a really cool symbol. It had like one of those giant bells. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of it course. Was like a mega bell, but it was a Turkish made symbol. A so Turkish was, mega bell? It was a really interesting sound because it still had that like low, smoky Turkish type of vibe, but it was this big rock symbol. It was heavy and it had it a was, giant. Was it bell. milky? No, it wasn't <laughs> milky. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Uh, uh, but it was smoky. I don't know what I was saying. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, bro. Okay, so so what's he up to now? Uh, well, I mean, Poison's still still kicking it, man. They're they're out Jeez. there rocking. I mean, they got to be. I mean, they have to be the last holdover from that era. Which it goes to show how I mean, they were a real deal. They were they were badass. I mean, their guitarist is probably going to go down in history as one of the best yeah. uh, rock guitarists. Got Brett Michaels. I mean, how much more of a frontman, legendary frontman, can you get? And Ricky, man, he's a he's a powerhouse. So we do want to mention he's in the June issue. So he did actually. He's he's recovering from cancer, which is really kind of oh my gosh, yeah, he's a survivor. So God bless Ricky and and hope everything is still going strong. It looks like he's back, you know, back with Poison. So everything is is motoring on. Uh, That's really cool. He definitely he was one of my first idols. I remember. Gosh, it again it would have been like 1990. So music was really cool around that time period. Like yeah, it's, you had so much stuff. Like I remember yeah. MTV would be it would be Poison and Bon Jovi would be kind of representing the the hard rock and then you'd have and White Snake. White Snake. Then you'd have like yeah. R.E.M., this weird alternative band that was yep. always on the air and then Bobby Brown and like Whitney Houston and it right. was really, and it was like this rotation of like it's all cool. Like I don't remember ever thinking, "Oh, I hate that." Or Why no, they keep no, that? Every, everyone cool. gave
4: you a breath of fresh air from the last one. Um, yeah, you know. And the other thing that I really liked from that era was that there were drum sets in every video, even yeah. if it was Bobby Brown and it was like program tracks. There was still yeah, they were like, "Well, we got to get a drummer for the video." <laughs> yeah, Zorro back there killing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. Like going from especially when they would have like Power Rock Hour or something. And you would Mm. see Warrant and then straight into L.A. Guns, Winger, Slaughter, slaughter, (laughs) Whitesnake, all that stuff. But it it was a time where the drummer, like you said, was featured and it gave people like of our generation like, okay, well, this is possible. Look how many guys there are doing this. Yeah, I can totally do this. Yep. And then you would see Prince with Sheila E. And that's yep. giving all the
3: female drummers, like, well, I could do this. She's killing it. Yeah. Um, and I think and that was the time when Terry Lynn Carrington was the house drummer on the Arsenio Hall Band. Yep. So there's just yep. all kinds of cool drumming. I even had like one of my, my baseball buddies, my Little League buddies, he came over to my house and saw I had a drum set. And he goes, can you play Unskinny Bop? <laughs> like, that was the first song he thought of. <laughs> can you play Skinny Unskinny Bop? So we, so we cranked that right on my, my little you know Montgomery Ward stereo. And I played along to it because... I was listening to that tape all the time. Yeah. It was like them and Living Color and U2 and Ramones. Like for me, it was all just, just music. There was never, there's also
4: an age that we have or that everyone has where no one's old enough to tell you that the music you listen to is uncool because no one has enough knowledge to know that something's cool or uncool. They haven't made those decisions yet so you could listen to like you said Poison straight into REM and it doesn't matter it's like i don't know i remember learning poison songs back to back with um uh we didn't start the fire is that billy joel oh yeah yeah that was the same time <laughs> period yeah <laughs> yeah and i just remember like i can't keep up i can't keep i can't catch <laughs> my breath it's so hard this is cardio and uh but yeah i was i was listening to billy joel and poison and all i mean really there was popular radio you know we yeah. had yeah. And at the time,
3: Poison was, was pop because it was popular music. Yeah, um, but it was hard rock, and that was for me. It was totally it brought that because I kind of came up in the, you know, my my dad listened to the Doors and Led Zeppelin, and, and I kind of first got infatuated with Van Halen, and then Twisted yeah. Sister was like my favorite band. I, it's so. so
4: funny. I was gonna say that Poison was that nice balance between Twisted Sister going one step too far with the theatrics, uh, the goofiness. Yeah, even though I loved it, and then um, maybe. Maybe something like Zeppelin, where there's it's just pure music, you yeah. know, and just for the soul of it. And then Poison was in the middle, you know, Motley Crue. I mean, obviously, I was a yeah. huge, I mean, I was an obsessive Motley Crue fan. Um, I wasn't so, allowed to listen to Motley Crue. Really?
2: <laughs> That's yeah, that, awesome.
4: That, their album, Shout Out the Devil, I think. Shout Out the Devil, I remember, yeah. yeah. I was like, I, just, I have to get that. It has Devil in the title. <laughs> and my mom was like, nay, nay, son, nay, nay. <laughs> I was like, I was like, Mom, they're not actually devil worshippers, but at the time, we didn't have the internet, so there was just stories like, no, 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 really, they kill like 10 chickens right before every show. I'm yeah, like, Mom, well, that's not stupid, true. Stupid rumors. <laughs> like, no, Ozzy's on plane, just planes biting <laughs> off the heads of bats. And I'm like, okay, that one might be true, but <laughs> <laughs> Motley Crue's on point. They're fine. That's uh, awesome. Well, definitely do a little 80s research. Check out Ricky Rocket, and if they come through your area, go check them out. There's, I'm sure they're still an amazing show and
3: a great nice arena band to watch and yeah it's cool to just seen remember them, that everyone, time everyone that i've said i know that's seen them now and back then says they're still killing it so i bet yeah of course yeah. monster cool awesome well that's where we're at now we've got oh we've got to bring uh our our advertiser moment in so thanks to dream symbols for sponsoring this week's episode so i figured rather than just pontificating let's just drop in some audio of their bliss paper thin crashes you can kind of hear you know how cool these symbols sound and you know if you want to chime in afterwards but anyway this is the dream bliss paper thin crashes i believe they are 14 through 19 14 15 16 no it's 15 16 17 18 19 inch crashes let's check them out So that is the Dream Bliss Paper Thing Crashes. I, I really dig the bigger sizes, but you should definitely go check them out. So thanks again, Dream, for sponsoring the show. And now let's move into our gear review section, which last week you alluded to it. You got to check out mm-hmm. Sugar Percussions' Stave Cherry 6 by 14 yeah, uh, the Eastern Black Cherry six
4: six by fourteen. This is the first time I've ever played a six by fourteen. I've played every six and a half that I know of, and I've played every five and a half. Oh but yeah, never played a six. Yeah, it's cool, huh. really cool. Um, and I like the size, and it didn't feel massive, and it didn't feel like I just couldn't get enough out of it. Now the drum itself, the the quality is just unreal it's so beautiful um i love
3: the fact they've got their
4: own lugs and i love that the, the fact that their badge is like embedded in the shell it just looks i know really i love that cool. and it's really like yeah. it's rounded everything is rounded and like
3: yeah there's no
4: sharp it's a edges. smooth drum yeah. you know and my first time hearing about them actually wasn't from them or from their their drum company it was really from you turning me on to aaron sterling yeah and then me researching aaron sterling and, and i was trying to find more videos of him but one of the batch of videos that comes up is him demoing all of their snares yeah and yeah. i think what it's, you know, it's funny when you have, there's a reason that companies endorse artists. I've, I'm in the game. I've played my whole life. I've had endorse, endorsements my, all, my whole life, but there's still a customer in me that says, well, if Aaron Sterling thinks it's good, it must be good. <laughs> yeah. No I questions mean, asked. Yeah. Right. I mean, he must be obsessive about sound. That's. I remember thinking the same thing with Meinl. I'm like, well, if Benny Greb is playing Meinl and he's obsessed, there must be some reason. Yeah. Um, and, and so anyways, obviously we know that all companies make incredible products. But I did have a chance to talk to Jefferson over at Sugar Percussion before I even got the snare so I could learn a little bit more about it. This is a stave snare. Uh, so if you guys know what uh, the difference between a solid shell and a stave snare. This is a, think of like a wine barrel or think of maybe a conga drum. This is a bunch of little blocks of wood all put together in a row. But the one thing that's really important is all of his stave shells are made from one tree. So even though it's not just he's getting cherry wood, this is cherry wood from the exact same tree that's making up the shell, which I think is really important. Mm. Um, I also love that they give you a wood density so mm-hmm. you know how hard the wood is. And this is a six out of a total of 11. So he says, he said that this is his most versatile drum that they make. It could do pretty much anything you want to do. So it's kind of the working man snare drum from sugar. And the other thing is that I found with this drum sound wise is it's probably the best backbeat drum I've ever played. Hmm. Um, like just when, simple backbeats. Just simple. Yeah. Like when you give the drum a full amount of space and you don't cloud it with nine ghost notes after every backbeat it really fills up the wave file and we first tested it when the campers were here it it showed up when i was doing a camp two weeks ago Pulled it out of the box everybody oohed and awed at how beautiful it is and then we put it on the drum and i'd had my a and f up for a while right so they were very used to that hit it, and everybody was like, cool, sounds like a good drum. I was like, well, let's track it. So then we tracked it, and everybody was like, whoa, Mm. that that is not the same drum you just played. (laughs) So if you're looking for a recording drum, this is definitely one to consider. The microphone absolutely loves it. I mean, it sounds fantastic in person, but it even sounded better through the microphone. Um, So yeah, I I think that Jefferson puts a ton of care into this. It comes with a trick throw-off, so you're getting a really nice multi-step, three-way throw-off, pure sound snare wires, die-cast hoops. And the fact that it's just hand built, you know, there's a, there's a person making this. I also found that this drum really could handle lower tunings than any drum I've owned.
3: Yeah. So, which has I was able to, be to get a this thing to his bearing edges being just so precise, like it doesn't, yeah. it stays balanced really low. Yeah, yeah. it was I'm,
4: really pretty incredible. You know, Let's listen um, to the dang thing. All right, you got it. <laughs> I'll, Uh, So this is me blowing chops on the (laughs) 6x14 (laughs) Eastern Black Cherry. All right, so we're going to start off with a nice medium tuning. Now, this is the stock head that the drum came with, which is a Remo Emperor coated, and there is no muffling on the drum. I'm going to crank it up pretty high and finally super low.
3: So my thoughts is that thing has a lot of air to it, like it, just it really does a lot of air. It almost has like a natural reverb to the to the resonance. That's I can see what you mean by it. like it. It's a backbeat drum. It fills up can, the wave file. It plays like a half note almost, but not like a, a ringy annoying half note. It's just like this no.
4: pleasant. And air. I mean that's that's absolutely no muffling. That's the stock head. That's as open as it's going to get. Because I kind of feel like and I mean you and I have talked about this before, but I feel like when it comes to demos. I hope our listeners know you can shut up any drum with a piece of gaff tape or some buzzkills or moon gels. So we always want to present it to you with as much life as the drum has to offer. That way also you can hear when the drum is starting to choke out when we demo it for you in higher tunings where you Mm -hmm. wouldn't know if that was gaff tape or something else that's causing that. But that drum, I mean, it sounds great high tuned as well, but... In that medium and low tuning, it just sings, man. Yeah. It just has so much life. So I thought I it was fantastic. Also, single lug design. So you're looking at minimal um, lug to shell contact. So that, that's probably another reason why the shell's allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say this. I'm not a fan of stave drums. I never have been. Um, mm-hmm. But this one worked. The end... I know that you reviewed it about two years ago. The inside of the shell is as beautiful as the outside. So, no, it looks like a finely polished piece of furniture. It's like oh, everything about it is yeah. perfectly designed. It's pretty well done. It's pretty well done. So, I'm actually looking forward to uh, before I send it back to Jefferson. I'm looking forward to maybe trying out the angel hoops on it, trying um, the, yeah. uh, the 602 or 302, the, the Brooklyn hoops, trying some different because I have only tried it with the die-cast hoops. But just so you guys know, you're looking at about 8.99 on most. Retail sites for this drum, so it's a professional level snare drum. It is handmade, but it's it's some serious serious quality. So that is the fourteen by six Sugar Percussion Solid Stave Eastern Black Cherry snare drum. All right, now let's get into your listener
3: questions. Oh, I forgot I had to make a correction from last week. Not a correction, a clarification. Biscuits. Uh, Maxwell's drum shop didn't close down because of the building fire i had several people kind of freaking out like oh my god is it gone?" it was a it was a fire in the restaurant on the first floor which caused caused them the building to be shut down for a day but they're fully operational i don't think they lost any merchandise or anything like that so (laughs) please go visit steve maxwell's and tell him mike sent you and buy something (laughs) buy something
4: expensive i really mentioned mike
3: dawson yes Modern Drummer Magazine, always
4: in favor of Maxwell's Drum Shop. I didn't
3: mean to uh, figuratively set anyone's hair on fire,
4: but that... uh, That. I could totally see them with their own podcast and be like, "Yeah, I guess Mike'sLessons.com got shut down for like some sort of spam virus thing." So <laughs> he just doesn't have a website anymore. And I'm like, "No, it's totally open." I, I don't think my that little. I said they closed
3: down, but no, you, you just know. said you thought they possibly moved somewhere else. Well, so. no, that they definitely haven't moved. But there was there was there's been discussion of are they going to move or when are they going to move? Because I gotcha. think the, I think the building has some damage. But again, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go any further than say Steve <laughs> Maxwell's is definitely open, and please let them know I said sent- down. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, I mean,
4: I'm just as a California kid, that's always been the place I've wanted to go because I always see their stuff. And I'm like, I mean, I don't have an option really until I drive to Fresno, which is four hours from me, to Bentley's Drum Shop. I don't have an option to see old Gretz Round Badge kits, And it, even, even if I
3: can see them, he's, I want to see all of them. I think he's always Louis Belson's kit in there. I mean, he's got some historic yeah. pieces in there. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, anyway. I love that stuff. So, <laughs> so just to clarify. Uh, so, there our first go. question comes from Andre from Vancouver. Um, when playing the kit, I prefer traditional grip for jazz and Latin and match grip for rock or metal. Uh, I like practicing both grips, but with only an hour a day available for practice, I wonder if I'm doing myself a disservice. What do you guys think? Wow, it's a great question, man. And that's such have, a common we, question. I think you and I have opposite, probably have opposite theories
4: on this. My theory is: pick your favorite grip and stick with it. Yeah. Um, what, whatever you play, just play something great. Um, and I've seen people like Todd Zuckerman go choke way down on the stick in traditional grip and get the fattest sound ever, and Vinny yeah. Caliendo as well. And I've seen people like Mark Juliana play in full matched grip and choke up on the stick and get the most delicate jazz sound
3: ever. So I think yep. just pick one and do your best with it. Yeah, I guess I'm not completely opposite, but I I think if you like them both, use them both. I don't see any harm. Uh, and that for me comes from spending years learning all these techniques to play classical music, you know, mm. Stevens four mallet grip versus the Burton four mallet grip versus the scissors grip and traditional grip for a marching band and match grip for a concert band and I play traditional grip when I play jazz. I don't see any of that as a loss of time sure. practicing. I don't ever use—actually, that's not true. I do sometimes go use two sticks in one hand to get—if I'm trying to play, like, a one-handed roll while hitting some other stuff. I'll, so I do apply some of that technique that I learned over the years, but largely I'm not playing Stevens grip, marimba grip, on the drum set ever. But right. And I practiced that probably two, three hours a day for four years. I don't, I don't think it made me worse. Right. Yeah. I I think actually both of our
4: opinions come down to something that we talked about really early on in this, which is practice doesn't make you worse.
3: Yeah. Any kind of practice. practice. Yeah. Yeah. I I I tend to practice on the pad with traditional grip and then drum set mostly match grip. You know, what's really weird, man, is I've I've
4: noticed in my when I see a video of me myself giving a clinic, I almost always explain things with traditional grip meaning I don't know that my hand is switched to it but anytime I'm just kind of talking it's almost like my jazz or my it's like my drummer educator pose and I just happen (laughs) to keep my left hand in traditional grip and then I demo everything in traditional grip until it gets serious once it's like okay now I'm going to drop the hammer then I go back but I I don't know what's happening in the moment and I'll watch a video I'm like why the hell am I holding my stick in traditional grip
3: I just picture you doing one of those old school ads with like a turtleneck and holding your sticks in traditional (laughs)
4: grip totally totally. and it's all it's all whole ad is just kind of yellow shifted a little bit like it's just like so for this some reason is, they
3: had to print it on parchment this is the serious um, version i'm i'm serious i've got my turtleneck on and I want you to know that uh, I just
4: authored a book called blowing chops oh, with stave snare drum and uh yeah so so yeah i'm i think we kind of agree that I'm cool with either, and I don't think that that's the thing that will slow you down. I think right. the most important thing is just practice. Exactly.
2: Hey, everybody.
0: It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified?
1: We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup.
2: Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.
3: Next one is from Bill Haas, or I guess that's how you pronounce it, H-A-A-S-E. Bill Haas, he's saying, Can you discuss the journey of the transformative awakening from a non-musical to a musical ear for persons aspiring to become players and musicians? Are there avenues wow, and or instruction question. leading to the development and nurturing of one's musical intelligence? I mean, these are these are heavy. Do you remember the moment in your personal journey when you heard the world around you differently? That's probably the good place to start. Yeah, I agree. Um, do I agree. You remember the moment? I I remember two instances. Um, one was was the late night hang with some college friends. We I think it was my fourth year in college, so I didn't really – my ear didn't open up until I was a senior in college. Uh, okay. And he had a great stereo, and he threw on Tool, um, the Enema hmm. record, or Enema, okay. And all of a sudden, I like I could hear so much detail that I'd never heard before, and I could hear like his left foot sort of not quite perfectly in time that I'd never had heard before, and it was like, whoa, yeah. my ears just completely opened up in a way it's, that, like I, I'd, I'd never heard really, music that way before.
4: In the moment that it happens, it's like. Kind of popping your ears as you land from a plane, Mm -hmm. you know. All of a sudden, it's like, wait, that must have been there this whole
3: time. I just couldn't hear it. Yeah, Um, I think. I think that the key is you have to practice listening. I think. I can. I I can tell you, when I was in music school, like it was me and thirty other guys and girls who were just obsessed with getting better at drums and percussion. None of us listened to enough music. (laughs) All we did was practice technique and etudes and grooves and in rehearsal with bands and we never just sat down and just listened to music and tried to analyze like, do you really know what's happening? I had, so the other moment was when I was in a drum set lesson, you know, I was like the hotshot jazz guy at the school. I mean, there was three or four of us who could actually play a swing beat, but, um, and and he had me play along to Freddie Freeloader by Miles Davis with Jimmy Mm -hmm. Cobb. And I was like, sure, I've had this record since I was 14. I know I, I can play this and I was playing along and he goes all right what just changed in the music I'm like mm, I have no idea what just changed yeah, <laughs> I literally yeah. I've been listening to this record for 10 years and I have no idea what changed what you know what and he meant like what the piano player definitely went to a different approach what did he do and I had wow. no clue it was so embarrassing so embarrassing wow so from that well, day I mean, on I was like all right I'm going to analyze these records I want to not just listen to the drums I am going to see what is the piano yeah. doing when does he change you know why does the bass player go to a certain pedal point at certain points in the song? Yeah. why does the drummer go to rim click? Like I started just really analyzing just through listening. So I think that's a it's heavy fun practice. too. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, uh, at the two days
4: ago, uh, we had a Man on the Moon practice, and the three of us came in the control room in here, and I put on. I said, "Have, have you guys heard Laura Mavula? And they said, "No." I said, oh, "I really want you to check this out. This is like my favorite artist in the world." And I put it on, and all we did was sit there and try to identify instruments. And, mm-hmm. and so it was like, and these are because she recorded with an orchestra. So I remember I was QR our bass player. I was like, I was like, do you think that's a clarinet? And it was just this, but it was so in the background. He's like, yeah, it's it's way too. I don't think a bass clarinet. He's like, no, the backgrounds are ba- is bass clarinet. Um, mm. and then, and then, yeah, the, the lead line is clarinet and we're, and we're going through it. And then, and then uh, there was this one part where Dean said, our guitar player, Dean, he goes, are those chimes? And, and I, and we rewound the track, are those chimes, they kept coming in on the same spot. And I go, no, there's no, there's no pitch difference whatsoever. It's one exact pitch. I'm like, I think that's somebody literally playing a role at the top apex of a triangle really fast going, Oh, interesting. And I mean, just to sit there and do that with like (laughs) my band buddies, it was (laughs) heaven. It was awesome. I know for me, uh, my kind of aha moment was probably somewhere in high school when my personal mixing board clicked in and I could finally listen to music with headphones on and in my brain, turn down the fader for the vocalist, turn down the fader for Mm -hmm. the bass player, turn down the fader for the guitar player, and all of a sudden start mixing like, all right, let me bring down the kick. I'm going to bring down the snare. Ah, there's the hi-hat by In itself. your imagination you're talking In about. In my imagination, yes. Yeah. And all, all up until that moment, there was drum set. There yeah. was no hi-hat, kick, and snare. <laughs> yeah. It was like, well, what's the drum part? And now I'm thinking, what's the hi-hat part? If I could just figure out the hi-hat part, then I'll learn one bass drum at a time after that. And being able to mentally mix an album and just yeah. bring tracks down, that was like, okay, everything changed. But to to our listeners question it comes through practicing you practice
3: listening you yeah, care you about to. listening you have to you practice with intent yeah. you can't be like brushing your teeth and doing the dishes while music's playing that's, to consider that's that practice inactive listening but yeah, active listening is down, totally different nothing headphones usually is the best for me and not it's a, beautiful i'm a, i'm a quasi narcoleptic so if i'd like sit down and close my eyes i end up falling asleep (laughs) right you have (laughs) to you have to stay awake through it you have to kind of be like in an attentive state and just you know sit and it's it is it's like a it's hard to describe that feeling when when the cloud just lifted for me and i was like whoa i can hear everything now and i started hearing the chord changes in a way that i'd yeah. Like, because especially with jazz, if you if you don't if you can't hear the chords because they're doing so many substitutions and the bass player might not ever be playing the root, you're like, I don't know what's going on. You're just guessing. Right. Like, I think they're at the bridge because they got louder. I don't know, but all of a sudden I, something I, clicked, and I'm like, I can hear it all. Like, it's all there. I know exactly where they are in the form. Yeah, like years yeah, and years of listening and getting frustrated and getting lost
4: and another good thing, different too, to help you with that listening and to help. Uh, disseminate that stuff is start start in some of that sixty late sixties early seventies rock music. Start with Sgt. Pepper's. Start with Beach Boys Pet Sounds and do it with headphones. And you'll and because they tracked so hard, panned right, pan left. You'll you'll actually hear like oh, okay, there's French horn in my left ear and there's yeah. and that's different than a trumpet with a mute. Now I can yeah. tell the difference because trumpet with the mute is in my right ear and French horns in my left ear. And you'll it'll it'll start to happen and it's a fun fun process. So yeah, another awesome. good
3: one is uh again kind of blue because there's two saxophones yeah. there's an alto saxophone and a tenor saxophone so you if you can identify exactly when one person ends and the other one starts because sometimes mm. cannibal adderly sounds a little bit like coltrane and then sometimes coltrane sounds a little bit like cannibal so if you're just passively listening like oh it's a saxophone solo you don't realize that they actually changed halfway through <laughs> you're like that's so and, cool you know little things like that and, and then locating them in the panning like you said it's I love that I love just sitting listening I don't do enough of it I don't think any of us especially in this country do enough of just enjoying music without having a movie or some sort of spectacle wrapped around it or a video attached to it but when you hit that zone as a listener man I mean you you realize
4: why music will always be here it's why I never ever freak out when people say like well, are you worried about like drum machines taking over or programming taking over? I'm like, you don't get it, man. This is human nature. Like we cannot yeah. get rid of human beings making music. It's in our DNA. It'll yeah. always be there.
3: So awesome. All right. One more. This one comes from big Al. So he says, "This is kind of a fun one. I hear a lot of talk about various jazz drummers who have the last name Jones on your podcast. How many Joneses are there? Uh, I think I am confusing some of them. So he wants to keep up with the Joneses. He says, so a brief summary, uh, I guess Papa Joe is the is probably the first one that I can think of. So yep. he was in the Count Basie band, and he's the guy who's largely credited with kind of trademarking the open, closed, hi-hat swing pattern. And also one of the and first guys to use the ride cymbal more exclusively. One of the greatest showmen on the planet. Amazing soloist, amazing brush player. So he was yep. kind of like the guy. He kind of defined New York City jazz drumming. So then Private after that— Private teacher in New York yeah, City. right. Had a music school. Um, I don't know if Elvin came out before Philly Joe, but they popped on the scene. Uh, Probably Philly Joe came out before Elvin Jones. So Philly Joe Jones is from Philadelphia, and he kind of became famous for joining the Miles Davis Quintet in the 50s. No relation to Papa Joe. They're just two different Joneses. (laughs) It's a pretty (laughs) common name. Then you've got Elvin Jones, who we all – we think of him with John Coltrane's uh, quartet, but he also did tons of records with everybody. But right. he comes from a huge family of Joneses. So you've got Hank Jones and, and, and Thad Jones. I mean, these are all his. These are his brothers, and these are all like legendary jazz musicians. So there's just Elvin's family alone. I think Elvin's actually the baby of his family. Really? Yeah. There's just there's so many Joneses wrapped up in that 50s 60s jazz scene. But those are the three that I can think of. Papa Joe, yeah, Philly Joe, Philly Joe, Elvin, and Elvin Jones. Jones. Yeah, and now there's I think, there's Willie Jones who's currently playing <laughs> Willie Jones. Yeah, third. Willie Jones
4: the third. Yeah. That was my that's my guy, man. Saw <laughs> him so play with Branford and just blew my mind. <laughs> he was like, okay, if I'm going to live up to this legacy of the Joneses, I better blaze. <laughs> that guy's incredible. I, I'm a huge fan of his. So, well, there we go. Well, All that right. helps, Big Al. Listener questions, and Big Al's got something for our hundredth episode that is awesome.
3: Oh, that came from him.
4: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He's been taking that notes is, and, and tabulating I, us. <laughs> holy hell. I can't wait to drop that on the listeners. They're going to, that was really interesting to read. So, just so you guys know, when we hit our Hunters episode, we got a top 20 list for you that uh, <laughs> it made me realize we need a little more variation in our stuff. <laughs> uh, especially when I got down to like 19 and 20, I'm like, how is that possible? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, we'll fill you in later. All right, it's time to get to our picks of the week. My pick of the week this time is uh, something that, I don't know, we don't ever really talk about this enough, but uh, full disclosure, I'm an Audio-Technica microphone artist, and that being said, my pick of the week is the Audix D6 kick drum (laughs) microphone. (laughs) I think it's just awesome. I I think it really just does its damn job. It's standby. Yeah, it's $200, and especially, I mean this for the people that are really not interested in heavy mixing they literally just want to have a kick drum tone i think the Audix D6 and the Sure Beta 52 both do that job of kick and it's like yep. done thanks yep. and Literally, you almost don't have to EQ it at all. You you might mess it up by EQing it a ton. You know, yeah. um, you can boost a little bit of highs for more attack. You can boost a. You don't really need to boost any lows. It's a sub impulse kick microphone, so it, it does a great job of boosting. It's pre EQ'd. That's the whole Audix thing. Yeah. So, and,
3: and the thing with with bass drums is when you get a mic inside the drum, it's that low mid range that that builds up. So Audix said, "All right, we're just going to get rid of all that right away, so you don't have to later go in and do it." Yeah. I mean, sub button, But if you want to use that mic on the outside of the drum, that's when it it becomes like one dimensional. It just sounds like right. Every drum sounds like a bass drum through an Audix yeah. Six at that point. It's right, still a right. great sound, but but it, give yeah. You as I mean, for me, I want more flexibility, and that's why I
4: use the microphones I use. But. When you know, when people say, Hey, which audio technica mic should I get for my kick? And I'm like, well, they make great kick mics. It's fine. But they're also very honest and you might actually not want the truth. Yeah. So or a D six time. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. It's like, dude, I just want an overhead and a, and a, mic and a bass drum mic. And I always tell them just get an Audix D six It's And yeah. it's a standard and it's got a super high SPL of 144 DB. So you're not going to blow it out by sticking it straight in the kick. It's awesome. And it's just a great mic. So
3: that that's all there is to it dig it so mine is um i keep going back to this dave disenso video he he's he's kind of been like posting occasionally he'll post lessons on his youtube channel but recently he, i think he did like a 20 minute lesson at least on his kind of applying Dude, some of the ideas. 42 minutes 42 minutes so he's kind of giving you his whole his whole spiel on how to internalize time using the voice and it's it's it it seems like okay I can do that, but once he starts getting into it and he's like counting the subdivisions and accenting the e with his voice while playing grooves over top of it and never wavering, that's when it's like okay, I think the reason that Dave Dicenzo's performance at the Monterey Festival killed everyone was because of how controlled he was with the time and the feel. Like every note just felt like it was just perfectly placed never dude felt this
1: frantic. is
4: great I'm, I'm such a huge fan of his and I'm always bummed that I I mean I have his book and everything and I I can never really find him teaching this is awesome yeah, it's good I'm like it, watching it it right is, now it's yeah. a
3: supplement to his book um, so some of the terminology he uses in the video you you might it might kind of confuse you because you don't have the book in front of you right but Still, if you just kind of go through it, I mean, you're going to pick up one or two things. The lesson, the biggest lesson that I learned is if you can't count out loud and play, then you don't have control over what you're trying to play, ultimately.
4: That's, you know, Yos Nickel preaches that exact same point yes. very violently.
3: <laughs> so the video is called Using Your Mind to Improve Your Time by Dave DeCenzo. It's And he's an amazing drummer. I love just watching him play. He's, he's so yeah. fun. <laughs> and his sound is always cool. amazing. <laughs> what a cool
4: setup, too. He's rocking be... like the standard four-piece Ludwig Blue Sparkle with a, like a it must be a twenty-four to the side of his floor tom. Oh yeah, right, oh. yeah. yeah So cool stuff. Yeah, no, that's, that's it's my pick. It's, that's great, man. Well, I will I appreciate that pick because I'll check it out for myself. I'm a big Dave Dicenzo fan, and I've never you know he he blew everyone's mind at Modern Drummer Festival, and then in, in typical Dave fashion, just left and he was like figure it out I'll give you the next <laughs> two decades kids and I was like good god I mean you literally if you guys haven't seen that I've talked about that dang solo so much but if you haven't seen the the modern drummer solo with Dave Dicenzo, you could just grab
3: any point in time and grab four bars of it and that's your next year of study yeah like he's so in control and so musical and I think it Damn. all wraps around the fact that he has complete command of everything he plays he's never just yeah. letting his hands go nuts on the drums and even it when never he's really
4: crazy stuff sounded like an exercise yeah. it, it always sounded like he was just in the flow like there was just this it was great man i i i can't even imagine the life of practice that led up to that performance because that that to me was his entire life of practicing and and drumming all in just this beautiful 15 to 18 minute drum solo i just i still look at that as one of the best drum solos of all time so All right, everybody. Well, thank you guys for all of your questions. Keep sending those in to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We are closing in on episode 100, which we'll have a nice contest for you guys for episode 100. Give you some amazing prizes just to say thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this podcast because it's been a fun journey for Mike and myself. So, everyone have a fantastic week. And, Mike, see you soon, buddy. Indeed. Late. Milky.
2: Uh, hey everybody it's barry from the what podcast hey it's russ
0: hey it's brian and we are giving away two tickets to bonnaroo 2024 these are ga plus and they include camping russ how'd people get qualified
1: we want to hear your top artists to play on the bonnaroo 2024 lineup
2: Call four two three six six seven seven eight seven seven and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away
0: two tickets to Bonnaroo twenty twenty four. These are GA plus, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified?
1: We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo twenty twenty four lineup.
2: Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.